tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney Plus. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 337, and today we are talking about books being released on November 16th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tears of hello! Hello, Liberty! Hello again, after like an hour conversation. (laughs) (laughs) We get chatty. And can I just say, we were going to record early today. Uh, an hour earlier than we had planned, and, and instead we talked for an hour, and now it is pouring so hard outside my house, like, I can hear it in my headphones. <laughs> no. I hope that it's not coming through on the recording. It's like, that'll teach you to talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, we are very good at chatting, and I do not hear your brain, so hopefully nobody else That's does good. either. Uh, but it is very windy here where I am here in too. Iowa, so it's been, you know, like, I keep thinking, like, maybe you'll hear my windows rattling or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't hear that. Um, maybe if I go outside, I can hear them. But yeah, it's dark and rainy and windy here now because of... Ugh. The time change, it's almost completely dark out now, Um, which is, you know, whatever. Yeah. I complain about it like everyone else because I don't really like it being dark out this early, but I don't really go anywhere, so it doesn't matter, I guess, when it comes down to it. (laughs) I like the cozy vibes of, like, cooler weather and winter and fall and, you know, turning on, like, twinkle lights and just kind of hunkering down. But it sometimes can be hard because, like, I feel like, you know... Even going outside to take out the trash once it's dark, I'm like, no, it's too late. I'm not doing that. And my partner will be like, tears at 6.30 p.m. And I'm like, but it's too late. (laughs) So, yeah, Yeah. that's kind of like the bummer part about like winter in general. But like, honestly, I mean, controversial opinion. I don't think that would change if we had or did not have daylight savings. It's just like a winter thing. Like, it's darker. It's colder. I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of winter, which is a weird thing for me because I've lived in New England my whole life. And when I was a kid, I was like, I hate the snow. I'm never going to live here when I get older. And then it's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm still here. Here you are. No, it's it's definitely like, yeah, like you kind of have to adapt or, you know, just don't go anywhere, which is fine, too. But it's actually today is our first snow here in Iowa this season. Yeah, I like woke up and like all night, like the windows have been rattling and it's been blowing. And I thought like maybe it would rain and I woke up to a bunch of snow and I was like, oh, okay, well, it's it's a lot colder outside than I thought. And I took the dog out for a walk. And like, so we're from Michigan, like we're used to cold weather. But like, I was completely unprepared for like a wind chill of like 10 degrees when it's actually like real (laughs) temperatures. 32 and I'm like what is even going on so I feel like this winter is going to be an adjustment for me because even though I am from Michigan I'm not I'm more used to snow than I am to like the brutal winds that rip across like the flat lands so it's going to be interesting (laughs) 
I should probably change my statement. I don't hate snow. I don't have anything against it personally. I really don't like cold weather, I guess. I don't like being cold. Yeah. So, and that usually comes along with the snow. Yes. Yeah. So. The two are usually pretty related. Yeah. It's not going to be super warm and snowing. That would be the end of the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, you know, could happen any day, but not today, probably. Let's see. What else do we have to cover? Just books, I think. Books. Yeah. We're getting to the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're kind of rolling into like our special episodes now and, you know, publishers are halting a lot of publication and dates are getting moved still. So there's fewer books coming out, but there's still some great ones and we are going to talk about them uh, after our first sponsor. Okay, so I am very excited. I know I say that all the time. I can't help it. It's my thing. I'm excited about books. Uh, I'm very excited for this first book. It is You Sexy Thing by Kat Rambo. Now, first of all, every time I think of this book, then I start singing that song in my head by, is it Hot Chocolate? Is that the name (laughs) of the band? I think so. Yes. So when I first read about this book, I read about the deal on Publisher's Lunch, and it was like, Farscape meets The Great British Bake Off. I was like, I must have this book. Farscape (laughs) is a really great show. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it came out in 1999, which was a long time ago now. (laughs) The late 1900s, as they would say. And I was so excited. Have you seen it? No, I'm just like smarting from you calling 1999 the late 1900s. It's a thing thing that they've been talking about about people doing on TikTok recently. I was like reading this little article and I was just like, what? That sounds, they're not wrong, but like stop saying that. So that's why I said it. But I was so excited for this and I immediately like annoyed the publisher. Like, can I have it? 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 You know? And finally I got it and I read it immediately. And I find it to be, like, the beginning was kind of more like Big Night in Space. Big Night, another very old uh, movie now, which came out, like, 25 years ago, which I highly recommend. My husband and I just rewatched it recently, and it holds up, and it's so good. And Allison Janney is so young and just amazing. I completely forgot she was in it. But it's kind of like Big Night in Space. So it's set at the beginning at this place uh, called the Twice Far Station, which is a space station at the edge of the known universe. And people go there to kind of, like, get away from everything that's going on. And unsurprisingly, it's set in the future, but everybody's still at war all the time. Like, I don't understand sometimes people complain about, like, future settings and, like, but they assume that we're going to still be fighting, you know, wars. And I'm like, what about what you know about humanity makes you think that we're not going to still be fighting wars? Um, So it's set in the future. There's, you know, like, this unending war going on. And the main character is Nico Larson, who is the former former admiral in the Grand Military of the Hive Mind. And after serving her time, she has retired from this unending war. And she's kind of living out her dream of opening a restaurant here on the Twice Far Station. Her staff is populated by former members of her battalion, and the restaurant is called The Last Chance. And at the beginning of the book, they learn that this big deal food critic is coming. Like, it's like they're going to give a rating equivalent to, like, Michelin stars. It's a big deal that this food critic is coming. So everything, of course, needs to be perfect. Spare no expense. But then, of course, everything starts to go wrong. A very large party arrives and is seated by the host, who has very little experience with this, so doesn't realize, like, they shouldn't have seated them in these places. 
and an entitled celebrity is in the building, and there's a mysterious package that arrives for Nico, and she doesn't know what to do with that, so she's, like, trying to deal with that, too. And then the space station is attacked, because of course it is, because everything is going wrong instead of right on this, like, supposedly huge night for them. But, like, the space station is destroyed. Like, they are forced to flee the station, and Nico and her crew wind up on this very fancy, hella expensive ship. And it turns out it's a sentient ship, and because they're on it and not their owner, they're convinced that the ship, that they are being stolen. Like, the ship is convinced it's being stolen, so it's taking them to their home base, to their owner's home base, to turn them in, because they're going to be in big, big trouble. Like, and they have no control over it. Like, they can't get the ship to turn around or stop or do anything. They're at its mercy, and it's taking them to turn them in. And, you know, basically, it's like, you're going to jail. So, now they're just stuck on the ship, hanging out until they get to their destination. They have to deal with space pirates and military bureaucrats. And, you know, they're smarting from the loss of their restaurant. At least they still have each other. Or, so they think so for now. This is an excellent space opera, However, I feel like the restaurant, not the restaurant aspect, but, like, the Great British Bake Off aspect was, like, overplayed because it's not as much to do with food or a competition or anything. But, like, it got me to sit up and pay attention. Farscape meets the Great British Bake Off. I was like, yes, give this to me immediately. But it's more about characters getting pulled back into a war that they didn't want to fight in the first place. And it has great found family dynamics and lots of humor and imagination. I love the different variations of non-human characters. I like stories where, like Firefly, where a captain in a war, like, their soldiers will follow them wherever they go and still refer to them as captain, even though, like, they're no longer in the military. I like that kind of story like this. It's great for fans of Firefly or the Wayfarer series or Saul Majestic. And I would like to see more from these characters. I do want to give content warnings for space violence, trauma, and PTSD. This is You Sexy Thing by Kat Rambo. That sounds so delightful, and I'm going to have it to is. pick it up now. <laughs> um, so my first pick is A Rush of Wings by Laura Weymouth, and it is a standalone YA fantasy, and I know that people are always on the lookout for like good standalone fantasies, so this one is fantastic. It is a retelling of the fairy tale, um, The Six Swans, or maybe it's The Five Swans, like I, the, I can never remember how many swans there are, but it's the fairy tale where the protagonist has to save her brothers who've been turned into swans, and then she loses her voice, which... Is a fairy tale that I grew up not really knowing um, until I read Juliet Marillier's books. But anyhow, so this is a reworking of that fairy tale, and it is set in historical Scotland, and it's about a young woman named Rowena, and she has this magic in her. She can kind of feel it. The wind talks to her, and she can hear um, like the messages it brings, like it oftentimes gives her warnings and, and sort of tells her of things that are about to come. So she lives with her parents and her three brothers in this, um, small cot on the coast of Scotland. And her father and one of her brothers, um, are fishermen. And her mom has this magic and her mother, uses it mostly to like place wards around their village to protect the village from some sort of unknown darkness that she really doesn't tell Rowena about. 
And so Rowena, knowing that she has this magic, she's always kind of said to her mother, like, when will you teach me? When will you teach me? And all throughout her childhood, her mom has always been like, no, you're not ready. And she kind of doesn't really give her like a specific reason, but she sort of insinuates that Rowena is too impulsive, too quick to anger. Um, She lacks discipline. So that is like the reason why she doesn't teach her this magic. And that really begins to hurt Rowena because it's one thing when you're told that when you're like seven, but it's a completely different thing when you're like 15 and you're told this. So Rowena's in her late teens when one night there's a terrible storm and she goes out to find her mother and her mother's on the cliff that's kind of overlooking the ocean and near their village. And she's frantically trying to rebuild the wards that she places to protect them. And they've been destroyed. And she says, like, there's something coming. It's really, you know, scaring me. Like, I've got to get these wards put back up and Rowena's kind of like, well, why don't you just let me help you? Like, you've never let me help. And like, I don't understand why you won't teach me. And in this moment, her mother kind of acknowledges like whatever is coming is scarier than the thought of like teaching her daughter magic. And so like, she realizes like, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have not taught you. Like, this is a failure on my part. I will tell, you know, I'll teach you now because we've got to get this done. And like, just as this happens, this monster pulls her mom into the ocean, kills her. And like, this is not a spoiler. This happens in like chapter one. So Rowena is like absolutely like devastated, shocked. Two months pass and another storm hits and she thinks that her father and brother are lost. So she wades into the ocean. She's told nobody that she's seen this monster kill her mother. She just makes lets them all believe that her mom got swept away by the waves. And so she goes out into the storm and she tries to find her brother and her father because she can't lose them as well. What she finds instead is a young man who's been shipwrecked. So she brings him home. And then she discovers that her father and brother are fine. Their ship was not lost. And they're like, look what we found when we were lost at sea. And it's her mother. But Rowena knows that is not her mother. It is just a creature that looks exactly like her mom. And this creature is evil and definitely wants to hurt Rowena. And... She curses Rowena and the stranded survivor of the shipwreck and her brothers. And so the boys are turned into swans at night or during day and they can be human at night. And she is cursed and is not able to speak. And she's driven away from their village. And she basically has to figure out her own magic and break this curse and kind of come into her own power. So I really liked this book. I thought the writing was beautiful. The story was great. It was a really, really great just take on this this fairy tale. Like I've not read a lot of retellings of of this fairy tale, although Six Crimson Cranes by Elizabeth Lim is on my um, TBR. And this is also the first fantasy that I've read by Laura Weymouth, um, although, again, her books have been on my TBR for a while. So really lovely book. The cover is gorgeous. I felt like I gave a lot of description, but like everything that I described happens in like just like the first couple of chapters. And so there's a lot more to discover if you pick up A Rush of Wings by Laura E. Weymouth. I have not read this story yet, but listening to you talk about it made me want to watch Lady Hawk 
tonight when we <laughs> get that whole like you know people changing only at certain parts over the day that's such a good movie it's like the best movie with like the most ridiculous soundtrack it must win that award it's like why is there synthesizer music in like the 14th century <laughs> it's just ridiculous but i digress so now for something completely different i adored this book so so much. It is The Ice House by Monica Sherwood. It is this beautiful, heart-squeezing middle-grade novel. It's set in a future where it's winter all the time. A freeze has settled over the planet, and it's always cold, and there's always snow. And Louisa, who is in middle school, is stuck in her apartment with her parents and her brother. Uh, you know, they're being taught virtually, and... Nobody can really go out, and it's very dangerous. It's very icy. It's very windy. It's very cold. Louisa's best friend, Luca, also lives in their building, but they've had kind of a falling out. But then Luca's dad suffers a fall, and he's not doing very well at first, and then he's he comes back to, their, to Luca's apartment, but he has amnesia, and he doesn't remember anyone. And so Louisa and her family start spending more time downstairs visiting with him and, you know, checking in on him. And she and Lucas are talking again. Now, Louisa's house is also a sad place because her grandmother died in a fall. She slipped on the ice outside their building. And so Louisa's mother is grieving and she stops making her art. She works with glass. And instead of, like, creating art, she starts selling it. And that makes Louisa really sad because her art was everything to her. And now she's just selling it. And so Louisa and Lucas are talking a lot. And there is a challenge that they hear about to invent things to help deal with the changing climate. And they decide to build a giant ice fort out in the backyard. They build this ice house in the backyard of their apartment building. And they start spending all this time together. And it's just them. When they're in this ice house... There are no injured or sad parents. There are no lost grandmothers. There are no world climate disasters. There are no difficulties of remote learning and mean classmates. They are free to imagine anything they want. And the book has like a little bit of speculative fiction when they're in this this ice house and like this world that they're imagining that is so much better than they think the one that is that they're living in. This book is a little bridge to Terabithia, which don't start crying just because I said that. And it reminds me of Rebecca Stead, who I absolutely love. And I read this several months ago, and I'm going to go ahead and guess that this was being written before the whole COVID pandemic, but it definitely has parallels to the COVID pandemic when you read it. I mean, you know, people, everyone has to stay home and everyone's doing remote learning and, you know, you can't help but read that into that. So it's kind of like a metaphor for that almost. Like I said, some of it is slightly speculative, but it's very realistic. I think this would be a great book to read with your kids. Um, I do want to give content warnings for serious injury and falling death, angry parents, loss of friends, and a world crisis. That is The Ice House by Monica Sherwood. Oh, that sounds really great. That hadn't even been on my... wasn't even on my radar, so I'm very excited about that. Yay! All right, so my next pick is Tide Song by Wendy Zhu which is a really adorable middle grade graphic novel. It's perfect for fans of Kay O'Neill, who does the Tea Dragon Society. Also, it's got some like Kiki's Delivery Service vibes to it. I really, really enjoyed it. And I like read an advanced copy where like all of the art wasn't complete. And I was like, 
you know, just paging through it because I wanted to finish it. But also I was like, I'm definitely gonna have to buy this because I want the complete art. So it is set in this world where Sophie is this young witch and she sort of lives near the ocean. And there's like this long history of like sea dragons um, and humans sort of commuting and the sea dragons kind of give humans, uh, certain humans, some of their magical powers. Um, that was like generations ago. So now Sophie is just this young witch and she is sent by her mother and her grandmother to visit and meet with some relatives that she's never met before in a different town. Her great aunt and then her cousin Sage and she's going to stay with them and they're going to teach her magic and they're also going to like help her get good enough at her magic that she can audition for the Royal Magic Academy, um, which is basically like the best school for magic. And her her magic, she's got some, but it's not always like very controlled. And Sophie also struggles with some um, anxiety and some sort of negative thinking. So that kind of makes it a little bit more difficult for her to be the best that she can at magic. But she's really excited to go and stay with Auntie and Sage and she wants to learn. And she's so eager to learn magic that she gets frustrated when like all they want to do is like teach her to do chores basically like she's doing endless chores and she's just thinking like you don't actually want to teach me magic you just want me to do like free labor for you um and she doesn't really buy auntie's her her explanation that like well you know chores help you stay focused you have to learn focus before you can do magic so one night sophie's upset um, she's upset that Sage and Auntie aren't teaching her certain things and she's learned a few things, but she thinks that she can push her magic a lot farther. And so she attempts this really complicated spell on her own and it goes awry and it brings this young water dragon to her shores and basically they become magically linked and he is trapped on land and he doesn't know who he is or where he's from. And he basically can't get home unless Sophie can help him. But Sophie is also very focused on her own desires and wants and not necessarily on what would be the best thing to get him home. So there's a bit of inner conflict there as to like what she wants to do or what she thinks that she can do. And she has to decide what is the right thing to do. I really love this book. I thought, you know, again, I, I read an arc where like the first 20 pages were in the full color and then it was black and white and then the sketches got like less and less detailed the farther I went along. But like the first like fully finished pages were gorgeous. And this is really silly, but I just have to say, I love how Wendy Zoo draws chickens in this book. The chickens are adorable. I am like not the type of person that will like want to collect like plush animals as an adult but like if there was a plush chicken from tide song like i think i would need to have it because they're just the cutest things ever and they make me so happy um and so luckily there's a lot of really cute poofy chickens in tide song that's kind of an aside but this is just a really great graphic novel um wendy zoo is the um artist behind Mooncakes, which is a graphic novel that came out a couple of years ago, and it's YA. And she didn't write that, but she illustrated it. And I really like that book a lot. 
This one, um, I think, is her first solo graphic novel, and it's so, so great. And I think she's got a few more coming out from Harper in the next couple of years, which makes me very excited because I loved it. So that's Tide Song by Wendy Zhu. Okay, I have a couple of things to say about that. One, I'm going to have to buy the book now just for the chicken. (laughs) The chickens! (laughs) Yeah, I actually think I have a galley of it somewhere. I'm going to have to read it for the chicken. And secondly, you mentioned the Tea Dragon Society. They do have plush animals from that one. Did you know that? Oh, goodness. I mean, I'm not surprised, but yeah, I don't think I knew that specifically. Yeah, so that's some cute stuff that you can pick up because (sighs) they are adorable. I also love tea dragons. And I loved mooncakes. I love it all. Yes, I think you'll like tights on a lot. So I am going to turn it around to something completely different now and tell you about this amazing little art book that's coming out. It's not actually coming out until uh, next week, but we're doing a special episode that week, so I want to talk about it today. It is Murakami Tea, the t-shirts I love by Haruki Murakami, translated by Philip Gabriel. And yes, that is Murakami, the author of many, 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 many books, including The Wind-Up Bird Chronicles and Kafka on the Shore, uh, and what my favorite of his, Sputnik Sweetheart. This is just this cute little gift book of images of his favorite t-shirts from his own t-shirt collection, accompanied by texts that he writes about them, like why he loves them, where he got them, and there are so many of them. He has one with Coca-Cola on it. There's one for a sushi place. There's ones with condiments. He has one that says, I put ketchup on my ketchup. Lots for alcohol companies, bookstores, reptiles, and assorted other animals. He owns a shirt that says, keep calm and read Murakami, which is kind of awesome. Um, Unless he was going to see himself, you know, give a performance, like, don't be that guy. But he has a lot with records on them. A lot of concert t-shirts. And he also, I I am unhappy about this, he has one that says, what does the fox say? Which was a thing that I had blissfully put out of my head (laughs) I read this book. My niece and nephew loved that song, and that song only for a very long time. And it took me a long time to get over what does the fox say, and now it's, like, been stuck in my head for weeks. But it's it's adorable. And I realized, like, I would read more books in in a collection like this. Like, Brandon Taylor has... An amazing sweater collection. I would read, like, Brandon Taylor's sweaters, you know, or whatever some other author could come up with. You know, Stephen Graham Jones' favorite cereals. I don't know. But I would read that book. I also realized I should make a t-shirt book. I have over 300 t-shirts. But surprisingly, I only have one in common with Haruki Murakami. We both have the one with the Ramones logo. But this is just a charming gift for Murakami fans, uh, for t-shirt fans, for people who collect eclectic books. I got really excited right before we started our call because they are supposed to be sending me a t-shirt to go along with this book because, of course, like, what other merchandise would you make to go along with this book? Like, what other promotional merchandise? And I got a package in the mail that was all squishy and I thought it was a t-shirt and so I opened it, but it was actually a package for my husband. It was, like, the new adapter for his Moog synthesizer, which is (laughs) another weird thing, but... Um, So I haven't seen the shirt yet, but I am very excited about it. And we'll share it on Instagram when I get it. Um, It's just fun. It's so much fun. And it's also like, if you love Murakami, here's your favorite author writing nonfiction about his t-shirt collection, which is kind of really awesome. So this is Murakami T, just the letter T, the t-shirts I love by Haruki Murakami, 
translated by Philip Gabriel. And now we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Okay, what do you have for us next? All right, so my next pick, um, because at the top of the episode, we were talking about really interesting um, comp titles. Here's some really interesting ones. Edward Scissorhands meets When the Moon Was Ours. That is my next pick. My goodness. Right? It's Starling by Isabel Streecash. And I have to say, when I first read that those two comps, I was like, that's a comparison. And then I started reading this book and I'm like, I can see it. I can totally see it. So it's got this beautiful, lush, very like atmospheric writing where like as I was reading it I could like just picture like all of like the aesthetics in my head like if I were to like create a Pinterest board or a collage of a book like it would be so easy for me to do with this book so it's got like that very beautiful evocative writing of when the moon was ours but like then also kind of like the mysteriousness and slight danger of like this mysterious boy just shows up in their lives and it creates some issues in their small town. So it's about this town named Darling and this town is somewhere in California. I think Northern California. I don't know my California geography very well if I was like unsure, but I'm pretty sure that's where it is. And it is this very, very small town that's very eclectic and it's kind of remote and sort of tucked away from the world. And it's about these two sisters named Delta and B. And they have always lived in Darling and they have a very eccentric father. Their mother passed away when they were little babies. And so they've always just lived with their father. And they have this like very old sort of creaking, falling apart Victorian house and their father's kind of obsessed with the supernatural. And that has always just been like part of their everyday norm. But 70 days prior to the start of this book, their father walked into the hall closet and never came out. And like, just to be clear, they open up the hall closet every day and there's nothing in there but like hall closet things. They have no idea where their father went. There's no clues in the hall closet as to, like, where he could have gone. He's just gone. So their house is somewhat magical and sentient, but, like, not in the sense that, like, it's easily explained or they understand how it works or how it functions. So that's kind of, like, the setting of the book. Like, it's summer. Delta is the older sister. She's just graduated from high school. B is her younger sister. She's, you know, still in high school. But they're kind of on their own. They don't know where their dad is. And as the older sister, Delta is starting to, like, panic a little bit because she's like, you know, basically, shit's going to get real if dad doesn't come home soon. And so it's kind of like as they're just worrying about money and what they're going to do moving forward, that Delta and B are taking their dog for a walk in the backyard one night. And there's like this big sort of open field behind their house. And they sent something really, really strange. And they see what they think is a meteor falling to Earth. And what it really is is this mysterious boy named Starling, who he's definitely not from this world but he is also like very intriguing to them and so they kind of like let him stay with them and they are very drawn to him because they are wondering like is his appearance somehow related to dad's disappearance and you know delta starts to have feelings for him as well but 
the entire town completely distrusts Starling. And as a result, the sisters, because they're trying to protect him. It's just really beautifully written, magical, somewhat strange, but very compelling book. I'm struggling to find any like other really good comps to like what it, there might be like it in YA, but I just keep coming back to Edward Scissorhands meets When the Moon Was Ours. It's such an apt comp. So that is Starling by Isabel Streecash. And I do feel like I have to just mention Isabel and I share an agent, but like that's not why I love this book. I just love this book because it's really well written. Well, all right then. I'm like trying to see the chickens now. I'm like downloading <laughs> the thing. I was like, show me the chickens. But I, I did not get through it fast enough. Maybe while you're talking about your last book. For my last book today, I want to give a quick mention that Extraordinary by V.E. Schwab is and illustrated by Enid Balam is out today. This is a collection of the comic. So if you are a comic fan or a V.E. Schwab completist, you want to pick this up. It takes place in the years between Vicious and Vengeful from V.E. Schwab's villain series, but I really feel like they did such a great job with it. You don't have to have read those to follow along with what's happening. In the comic, Charlotte Tills is the main character. She's a teenage girl who is involved in a serious bus bus crash, it's hard to say, that kills several uh, people, and at one point she actually dies on the table and they bring her back, and... When she wakes up, she now has this power to see how people are going to die, like in reflective surfaces. Like if someone she knows or someone comes into the room and they're near a reflective surface, she can look at it and she sees how they're going to die. And she's like, well, maybe this is just my brain imagining these things. And, you know, I've been through a horrible trauma, but then like one of them comes true and now she's like really panicking and she learns that she has become an EO, an extraordinary. And she's also haunted by an image of a man who she doesn't know but that she sees in the reflection as someone who is going to bring about her end. And we learn that this is the the notorious E.O. killer, Eli Ever. And Charlotte goes on to meet people like her. Eli is trying to find them. It's very, like, X-Men-y kind of group. It's really fun, and it's it's superhero-y with, you know, some wild villains. Um, It's also violent. It's definitely not for kids. It's, you know, an adult comic. I loved the artwork. Uh, the artwork is fantastic. It reminded me a lot of my favorite comic, Ex Machina by Brian K. Vaughn. The artwork in that is very similar and also a lot of fun about unusual superheroes. And like I said, you don't have to have read the villain's books to follow along. Uh, you can just check this out. It collects the first several issues, which wraps up the story, but also kind of doesn't. You know, like there's some open ends, you know, which is always good. At least you get like something, some kind of ending to it. And I just love V.E. Schwab and everything... V.E. Schwab related. This is Extraordinary by V.E. Schwab, illustrated by Enid Balam. Awesome. All right. My final pick is um, a book that got um, shifted to November 16th. It's um, When We Were Them by Laura Taylor Namey. She's the author of the Cuban um, Girls Guide to Tea and Tomorrow, which was a Reese book club pick. So, um, You've probably seen that one around. This is her new YA. It is about three friends and it is about their friendship, which that sounds kind of silly when I say it like that. But basically, Willa, um, Luce, and Britton have been like 
best friends for like a decade. And they have really clung to each other's friendship when times have been tough and when things have been great. And they think that they have like this really unbreakable bond. But at the start of the book, Willa is meeting up with her two friends. And basically, they have discovered something that she did eight months earlier that is a betrayal. And at the beginning of the book, we don't know what that thing is. Um, We just know that Willa is absolutely devastated over it. She completely regrets it. She spent like the last eight months of her life trying to put it out of her mind and trying to like put it past them. But when her friends confront her about it, they basically say, like, were you ever going to tell us? And she admits that, no, she, you know, had hoped that they would never find out. But then she asks for their forgiveness. And they say, you need to be honest with us. And that is what needs to happen before we will forgive you. And so they basically give her one week to confront what happened and what she did and the causes of it in order to, you know, basically see if they can have their friendship be saved and salvaged. So during this one week, uh, which is takes place over their like graduation week, they decide that they are going to just kind of give Willa space. Like they're not going to talk. They're not going to meet. And it's up to Willa to basically figure out her own issues and like why she did what she did and really come at the truth. And so this book is told from Willa's perspective and she knows that the reasons why she did what she did go back a lot farther than just eight months, but she's having trouble confronting it. So uh, Britain sends over this memory box full of all of these, um, you know, just objects and things that have made up their friendship. And she sends that over via another friend. And during this last week, Willa is going through all of these objects and she's remembering things and she's revisiting moments in their past and she's reconsidering things through this lens of, you know, this betrayal. And as she's trying to piece things together, she also has to face, you know, something in her past that... Um, is a lot bigger than, you know, their moment of friendship breaking. So this is, I I would say it's definitely more on like the literary side, very beautiful writing. Um, I really like books that deal with friendship because, I mean, when I was a teenager, I was not dating in high school. That was not something that was like on my radar. But like I had some really great friendships and like those relationships were some of the most important relationships in my life. And I think sometimes YA books don't really dig into that. So this is just a really incredible book, very emotional book about these three girls and their friendship and what it means to be there for each other, but like also what it means when sometimes you put too much pressure or too much just too much onto like a single friendship and um, what a healthy friendship actually looks like so it's a really beautiful book uh, is when we were them by laura taylor nagy all right so uh, i want to mention that i found the chicken and <laughs> it is indeed amazing and also has teeth the chicken has teeth, i know <laughs> which is just awesome it's so cute. It's so cute. It does look like it could take your hand off. 
But it does. But it's still so cute. That's fine. My cats could probably take my hand off. You know, they bite me all the time. I'd be like, yes, that's fine. You're so cute. Basically what I say to them. Oh, they're little, they're like little fluff balls in that book. I Yeah. I was like, I never thought to draw a chicken like that. I mean, I'm not an artist, but I never thought. And then I looked at that and I was like, that is the most adorable chicken I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So those are our new books. What are you going to read next? Um, so next up, I'm really excited. I'm going to read A Spindle Splintered by Alex E. Harrow. Um, I picked this up in my indie a couple of weeks ago, and I just haven't had a chance to get to it because I've been reading books for, you know, all the books and some other Book Riot stuff. So I'm going to dive into it. It's short, so hopefully I should be able to read it in a single setting. It's really good. Yay. I, I'm a big fan of, like, retellings where it's like, this fairy tale is nonsense. <laughs> Here's why. <laughs> yes. I really enjoyed that one. I am reading The Verifiers by Jane Peck, which is about a woman in California who works for a dating app in which she investigates the people who apply to be on the app. You have to be approved before you can use the app. So she like makes sure that they're not lying about who they are or what they do. And then one of their clients goes missing and she gets involved in that somehow. Uh, I, I don't know how yet. Uh, but it doesn't come out until February 22nd. Honestly, if I had a book coming out next year, although you do, Tirza, I'm very sorry that it, <laughs> I'm very sorry for what I'm going to say next. I would want it to come out on the 22nd of February because now your book is out in like two, 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 which is so much fun to say. <laughs> it is really cool. And I have to say, I'm really excited for this book. I stumbled upon it um, while catalog searching the other day and mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I requested it so fast. It looks amazing. Yeah, it's going to be great. So that is all for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Tirza hangs out on Twitter at Tirza Price. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franz and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime... Happy reading. reading.